0: Welcome to another episode of the Young Mormon Feminist Podcast. I am your host, Julia. Today, we are talking about privilege, specifically the type of privilege that comes from being a member of the LDS Church living in the United States. To discuss this today, I have with me Azul and Leone. Will you please introduce yourself, ladies?
1: Um, My name is Azul. I I currently reside in Merida, Mexico. Um, I was raised stateside. Um, mainly in Texas, but I also lived in Utah for a good portion of my stateside residence time. And um, I am currently active and serve in the Stake Relief Society Presidency for my stake.
0: Well, thank you for joining us Azul. And we also have Leone. Will you introduce yourself?
2: Sure. Hi, my name is Leone. I live in Auckland, New Zealand. I've, I was born a member um, active family and I'm still active and currently my calling in my ward is a primary teacher and I share that calling with my husband and it's pretty cool. <laughs> well that's fun. Yeah.
0: Well thank you for Super joining fun. us as well and just to give context for our listeners it is 1 um, 30 p.m in New Zealand on yes. a Saturday. Yes. And it is 7.30 p.m. on a Friday for me and 8.30 p.m. on a Friday for Azul. So it took a little bit of doing to figure out how to connect. But I think that this goes to an interesting point about American privilege is that not everyone is in the same time zone. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, sometimes you have to make extra efforts to make sure that uh, all members of the church can communicate at the same time. Well, just. Just to give a little context about myself, I um, was born and raised in Alberta, Canada, so I can claim that I'm a foreigner, um, technically. I um, moved to the United States when I was 18, and I have stayed here about so for about 11 years. Um, I currently live in Salt Lake, but I'm moving back to D.C., where I spent the previous five years um, in a few weeks. So uh, let's get into it. I want to start off talking about... A little bit about some statistics, so not to bore you all up front, but uh, the church, LDS Church was obviously founded in the United States, um, but almost immediately they sent missionaries overseas, and since then it has become an international church. Really, by the statistics, it's international. By 1996, there were more Mormons outside the United States than inside And in 2012, there was an estimated 14.8 million Mormons, approximately 57% of which live outside the United States. Uh, This population outside the United States is largely clustered in Canada, Mexico, Central and South America, Western Europe, and the South Pacific. Uh, The United States has approximately 1%. Mormon pop- one sorry, 1.7% Mormon population. Some countries such as Chile and Uruguay have a higher percentage of that. So they have approximately 2%. And then some South Pacific nations have even more than that, with some more than 10% of the population being LDS. So the United States is by far not the most heavily populated in proportion to the, <laughs> to the rest of the population of countries. Um, we also have. I just want to talk a little bit about temples. We have um, 143 operating temples right now. 72 of those are outside of the United States. So that's 48 percent of operating temples are outside the United States. Um, the first one built out of the U- outside of the U.S. was. Uh, the Carson, Alberta Temple. That's my home temple when I was growing up. But technically, the Le, Le Hawaii Temple was the first built out, you know, outside of the United States because in 1919, Hawaii was not part of the United States. Fun fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the next one was in Bern, Switzerland in 1955, um, followed by the Hamilton, New Zealand Temple. Woohoo! <laughs> Yay! The church currently publishes the Book of Mormon in 189 different languages and sends missionaries to over 165 different countries. So despite such an international presence and a majority non-American membership, church headquarters is in Salt Lake City, Utah. The church's semi-annual conferences are always held in Salt Lake City, Utah. And the church's business operations, such as Deseret Book, Um, and multiple real estate developments lie almost exclusively in the United States. And surprise, in Salt Lake City, Utah. (laughs) So (laughs) um, that gives you a little bit of perspective uh, um, on the international nature, but American focus um, of the LDS church. So I wanted to talk with both of you a little bit about how you feel um, the fit, the geographical location of the founding of the church affects uh, the way that international members are taught the gospel today? Well, I think
1: recently, especially um, just from, from the American perspective, like, I've sat in discussions in both here in mexico and in um, in the states, and I feel like at least in my part of Mexico, because there are so many ruins, um the way the gospel is taught is very much with an emphasis of Christ has been to this specific part of the world. it's very much um you know bringing christ's visit to the americas and There's a lot more emphasis on that, whereas stateside, there wasn't as much of that. Um, It's always with the idea of, you know, making sure that the investigator's needs are met. But um, in other parts of Mexico, too, um, I've always heard. That connection like Christ is very much you know he was here that the 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 feathered snake was Christ and so it's interwoven with a lot of the um, Mayan and Aztec and Toltec um, history at least when it's taught here in Mexico whereas when it's taught stateside it It doesn't take that approach. That makes sense.
0: Yeah, that makes absolute sense. Um, What do you think about how church history is taught? Do you think that that is different um, stateside as opposed to through the rest of the world? I think it is, because
1: at least in Utah and in other parts of the state, there's that connection. You know, you can definitely hear people say, well, you know, I come from Pioneer stock uh, five generations back or something along those lines. Um, whereas here, there's not there's really not that much of a, you know, line to trace. A lot of the families here are um first generation converts or, you know, their maybe like their grandparents or their parents rather um, heard the gospel and that's how they've been in the gospel. But having like, you know, generations of family is not really super common here, especially um, I'd say in in countries outside of the state or in Latin American countries, there's a lot of people who, um, this is all new in some ways because there's still like really high numbers of converts and really high numbers of baptisms here. So that history is not as cemented in terms of that. But I know they're trying to sort of change that for people because the fifth Sundays they're trying to teach a lesson on pioneers that came over and like established the church in Mexico but it seems like there's a distance in that because you know it's not it's not like oh and Mexicans it's sort of like well people from Utah came over and
0: it it's sort of that. Well, that's really interesting. Um Leone, how do you think that the uh, church history and how that story, how do you think that that is taught in New Zealand in a way that's relatable to New Zealanders? Or is it?
2: Mm, um, Just listening to what Asul's been saying, um, if I take it out of New Zealand and more into a Polynesian South Pacific, taking that perspective, I think um, I've written a few notes. Well, the church is also a new church in this area. So in the South Pacific, by the time the church was organized, or 1830? <laughs> um, by the time that it was officially organized, well, the South Pacific had already had two or three other religions make their presence known and make their presence um, solid in the South Pacific, in different Pacific islands. And... Um, and the I, oh, you know, I'm speaking from a Samoan perspective, and also New Zealand-born Samoan perspective. But the once, once Mormon missionaries made their way from America to the South Pacific, to Hawaii, eventually to Samoa, um, they had their work cut out for them because everyone had already <laughs> basically taken up some form of Christianity here or there. I keep thinking I'm in Samoa again, um, <laughs> and it was already solid, so they like like what it sounds like what was happening in mexico um yeah it was it was a new religion and a new American religion. Who are these Americans coming you know who are these Americans coming here um, so that's that's one kind of trail of thought I have um the other is that Polynesians. Um within a maybe like a european perspective they they are a um how do i how do i say this the The link or the connection that that Mormons or the church may have really identified with Polynesians are that scripture in the Book of Mormon with um about hagoth's people who went off into the sea into the isles of the sea mm-hmm. um I think I think that is quite quite often pointed at as, you know, here is here is the Polynesians connection with Nephites or laymen or you know, with the Book of Mormon. So he, you know, the these Polynesian people they're special. They are they are something yeah, something special and this yeah, this gospel message is especially for them because they can trace themselves back, you know, through, through the scriptures, um, to, to that time, to that one verse in the, in the book of Mormon, I think. Um, so with, with those, I think those two kinds of strands have definitely been made, made felt when when church history or church doctrine gets um, gets taught here in this area of the world i think hmm.
0: that's really interesting um how how do you relate the so i've heard this idea that America, the United States is a chosen land and the Constitution yeah. was inspired by God and the founding farmers were led by God to establish a place of religious freedom such that Joseph Smith could restore the church here. Um, mm. How is that taught in your countries and how do, um, how do people outside the United States, from your experience, how do people relate to that?
2: I mean, definitely, lots of Pacific peoples in, you know, moved over to Utah. So there's, if I remember correctly, there's, um, yeah, that whole kind of move towards the promised land. There was definitely a bit of a migration of Islanders to to Utah or even to Missouri. I don't, I can't say too much on that, only because I don't really know. But there are, there have been instances where Islanders have heard that message and then. Move their families over to those places to be nearer to Zion um, yeah, but here in New Zealand, I think is it is it a particular Mormon thing I wonder if if you um you know you go to a promised land or you separate yourself out from the main population and establish some kind of settlement separate to other it to the other populations and just yeah settle there. Um,
0: well, I think and I think yeah. at one point the church actually encouraged people to move to Utah. Obviously, right? You know they uh, they had kind of this uh, mass migration from England, um, yeah. and you know the church. Kind of moved their population across the country every ever so slowly to uh, settle in Utah, but then there was also some point where um, they t- stopped doing that, and they said mm. people should establish their stakes
2: where they where they are where they where live they are, yeah
0: yeah um, so that's also an interesting mm. you know part of that is that at some point they did say. You know, set up where you are. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that that message has been communicated, or do you think people still um, view Utah as Zion or America in general as
2: Zion? I I know for myself, I I view Utah now as the bubble or the <laughs> the, the place you know the epicenter of of all the all that yeah. Um, let me see in in samoa there's this beautiful valley up in the mountains you can get there by car but it's one example of a place in Samoa where um, it's called Sauniatu it's beautiful up there it's very secluded um, and I th- I think um, there's there's a monument there I forget what what what's written on the inscription but it's yeah that that is an example of a place where... Um, Mormon members, you know, they, the place was chosen and a group of local Mormon saints went up there to establish a settlement, um, in case of, you know, that kind of idea of a a Zion or a community separate from the rest of the population. It's, it's, yeah, it's quite beautiful up there. There's, there's a school, there's a little community up there, farms, um, and as far as I know, members still go up there to, you know, to run camps um, for for special conferences. But I think that message of, you know, stand in holy places and and Zion is wherever you are in the church, I think that's now the message. Mm. Well, that's great and that place sounds beautiful <laughs> sounds oh, it, it's, <laughs> i need it's to plan so a
0: vacation good. oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> oh it's so
2: beautiful I know, yeah saunayatu it's what it's called it's
0: beautiful oh, um, so how do you think people um in mexico respond to this idea that um, america is this chosen land and it, uh, the the founding of america was inspired so that joseph smith can restore the gospel i
1: I don't hear the, um, you know, America being inspired line so much here as much as I heard it stateside. But I do think that I know that when I was a child, I very much heard, you know, Utah's the ideal. Utah is Zion. And as the church has grown and sort of transitioned that mentality, um, I think the church has tried to change that. You know, Zion is... Wherever you are, but it's sort of hard to change that perception in a lot of ways, you know. So, especially with um, the amount of tourism that comes in and this idealization of American life, um, in conjunction with what we were being told at church, you know, that Zion is in Utah, um, it definitely is harder to snap out of that mentality for a lot of people. Um, not only that, but we get a huge influx of American missionaries and um, you start seeing a lot of the, you start hearing a lot of comparisons, you know, well well, in the States we do this, this and that, or people asking, um, well how is it done in the States? Especially because um, there have been things that have been introduced here that aren't necessarily I would say um, practical um, to the people here but they do have really American undertones so um, that also influences how people perceive um, the church in Utah because in Utah you know this is't this thing that has been introduced here is in Utah, so obviously Utah is good, or this thing that has been introduced to us is in the states, so obviously in the states, you know mormonism is is practiced
0: the way it should be interesting well one thing that i um, so like I said, I lived in d c for about five years, and I was a member of um, a ward that encompassed a large part of D.C., and we had people from all over the world as members of our ward and who, who had originated from all over the world. But then we also had a lot of tourists um, who came to Washington, D.C., and spent their sacrament meeting with us. Um, and a lot of these tourists were from Idaho and Utah. And we would have, um, at the end of sacrament meeting, we would have all of these... Uh, these visitors stand up and introduce themselves. And before they introduce themselves, the woman who was conducting and she and her husband were from, um, Congo originally. They, she would say, well, welcome to Zion. And everyone would laugh because, um, there, you know, most of these people from, were from Utah and Idaho. And, uh, I think that there is this idea that, well, Utah is Zion, but I think it just emphasized to all of us who were regular attenders and heard this every single week, as well as the people who are visiting and that you know Zion is where you are, and Zion is um you know in in the places where your home is and where your community is and I think that that was really befitting of that particular congregation, and I hope that that's you know the message that people receive. Well, that Obviously- that
2: being that being said about Zion, um, when it comes down to it, though doctrinally, as we recite in the Articles of Faith, um, one of the Articles of Faith is you know that we believe that Zion will be built upon the American continent. The New Jerusalem will be there. Right. Um, so we can all say that Zion is wherever we are, but. Um, the real real Zion. yeah the real real Zion is right. going to be at the end of the day at the end of the day built somewhere in Missouri right that yeah right? well that, that's so, an excellent point thank you for
0: thank you for bringing that up I had forgotten
2: <laughs> so that uh, yeah no, where, I mean, you know yeah, it comes down to it but that's the thing about the message the, the, the message seems to be muddled you know Zion is wherever you are but Actually, Zion is still going to be American. You know, like yeah. there's a there's a two there's a muddled two, um, two threaded message that yeah that at the end of the day it, yeah it is an American it's inextric- inextricably an American religion. You can't yeah yeah you can't separate the America from right <laughs> from the Mormonism yeah. So great point yeah
0: well another thing that um, I wanted to talk about is um, how the infrastructure of the church and some of the traditions of the church are uh, presented in other countries around the world Um, whether they're presented in um, an American way uh, that international members are expected to kind of fit within their own concept or whether it's presented as a, uh, not an, um, not f- as an international way, I guess. I don't know if there's no inch one international way, but what I'm getting at is, is are things presented in the kind of American construct? And does that ser- if so, does that serve the communities? And one of the things that, um, specifically are, uh, Church buildings and church temples, and how those things are designed to serve the communities. Do you, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I think
1: church buildings here. It just, I, I,
2: it's not a proper chapel unless it has a basketball court. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. It was so odd, you know, as a kid here, I was used to this really brick type church that was really strong and could be used as a hurricane shelter because hurricanes are a big thing here. Oh, uh, And, uh, and yeah. then I came back, you know, 20 years later and the church is totally American. Like the, you know, the new stake building, it has carpet, which I'm just like, what is carpet doing here? You know, nobody has carpet here and, uh, I thought I'd stepped into some ward in the States. It's beautiful looking. I I love that. But I mean, this new, the new stake center that was built, it was, you know, blessed. I don't know what the term is in English. It was dedicated. Yes. Dedicated. Thank you. And like, a week after, a hurricane came in and it was completely destroyed. Oh, so, no. Whereas, you know, the first chapel built here, it, that thing is still standing. I'm pretty sure it's indestructible or something. But, you know, none of the other chapels can be used as a shelter or it can be benefit people in that way. They're, they have done some adaptations in some interesting buildings here, like the... Um, the there's one of the wards here that was built inside a hospital um, that was sold to the church, so that's really interesting, and a couple of things like that. But in general, there's not... The fact that chapels look so much like stateside chapels, I mean, that seems sort of crazy to me, because I, I don't see the reason for that. Aside from uniformity, um, it
0: just seems...
1: I don't I don't understand the purpose of it, I guess is what I'm saying.
0: Well, and as um, you mentioned it might not maybe it doesn't even fit in with the look of the community. Yeah,
1: I mean visitors are always like, "Oh, that's a Mormon church" because, you know, the churches look so pretty, but you know, there's there's graffiti problems and there's there's all sorts of like security problems and I mean, the church I or the city I currently reside in is really, really safe, but having all of that space with carpet, <laughs> the carpet thing, I guess is, I don't need to like <laughs> cling on to that point, but it's just so odd, you know? And, yep. um, it, it's just super odd. And, the other thing is, I mean, the temple is really well-situated. In my opinion, it's great. I've lived in two places here in Mexico that have temples, and they're pretty much identical. Um, they're the smaller temples. Right. Um, so in that sense, but there's a lot of... Uh, I, I know in Medina it was really scandalous when the temple was being built because the church tried to buy the entire huge... Um, they call them manzanas, uh, this huge block. It, it's more than a block to build all of these um, church facilities. So like the Family Search Center, the missionary offices, the stake center, which I attend uh, or I'm a part of that stake, uh, the temple and distribution center. So all of these. Uh, Church buildings are situated Like really close to each other Which is convenient if you live close by But it seemed really weird To a lot of people here because they were like Why are Mormons buying so much land Why are they um, You know building so many And I've heard this comment a couple times Ostentatious buildings you know Like that big 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 church Which is a temple and that other Big church which is the chapel And so in that sense, I feel like there's this disconnect from the local community because of that. Interesting. Um, I don't. I don't know how it would be in New Zealand. Do you guys have a carpet <laughs> in your houses? Is carpet? <laughs> no, not a big deal.
2: <laughs> um, no, yeah, okay. That's so funny you say about the carpet. Um, um, so again, from. I guess, yeah, again, if I haven't made it clear already, I'm speaking from kind of two viewpoints. I spent I, I spent some time living in Samoa recently, 2011, 2012. My family's from there. I make frequent trips there. So I, I, I think of things in terms of Samoan examples and New Zealand examples. Um, it's just, yeah, the first thing, when you talked about chapels, and I was just like, basketball courts, because you, yeah, what is a chapel without the cultural hall inside it? <laughs> And yeah. the multiple classrooms, and you know you know other churches they have maybe the one the one building uh that does you know that everything's done in there, but we yeah we just we're the we're the church that has the chapel plus the classrooms plus the indoor or outdoor basketball court, and I always thought it was cute, actually one thing is um in new zealand uh and it, um basketball was i mean Mormon elders or Mormon missionaries. Yeah, Mormons um, had a hand in bringing or introducing the game of basketball to New Zealand back in the day. So that is that was quite interesting to know that oh, Americans, <laughs> yeah, Americans, and yeah, the popularity of the sport of basketball um, was helped some part by Mormons. <laughs> All those <laughs> basketball courts, um, but in in Samoa, because Samoa is the yeah, majority of the population. Um, is religious, mostly christian um, it's not it's not um, you know you see as you drive along the road villages have multiple churches for multiple denominations so a village can can have uh, it's you know it's people can belong to Methodists Catholics um, the local congregational Christian church ifakasa. And the Mormons, so there, you know, there'd be four, four church dwellings from different nomination, from different denominations in each village as you drive past. Um, and there's, yeah, there's, there's far more chapels in in um, in Samoa than there are in New in New Zealand. Um, but each, yeah, each chapel is the same, is the same look, very cookie cutter. Uh, we stand out from the others just because of that same kind of chapel, classroom, white building, steeple, no crosses, um, set out. And I think, um, actually, uh, what you're talking about us all with, with hurricanes, um, uh, the opposite, I have an opposite, um, example when, when the 2009 tsunami hit Samoa and quite a, um, over a hundred people died in that tsunami, um, off the southwest coast of Upolu, there was a chapel. Because of the specs of the chapels, you know, they have to be, you know, uh, tropical cyclone-proof uh-huh. and up to American stan- you know, American standards of of construction. Um, the chapel still stood after the tsunami wiped around, wiped out all the buildings around it. And so people who took shelter in that chapel in Malai La, in, in Lalomanu area, Alepata Um, Because that chapel stood its ground against, you know, these massive waves, um, people were saved from, yeah, from taking shelter there. So um, that's that's one blessing from these cookie cutter basketball courted white setups. Yeah, Um, but just thinking back to the the New Zealand temple when it was built, my grandparents were labour missionaries, Samoan immigrants. Uh, a lot of the labor for that temple was volunteer-based, so you could serve a labor mission, and a lot of those ma- a lot of those labor missionaries were from the islands or were Maori, um, and you know they they built this, the temple and the the church school that's right next to it, and I just I've seen pictures of David O. McKay being welcomed on to to the to a field with with the, you know, traditional Maori porphyry, Maori greeting. So, and then all these cultural events happening afterwards, like as part of the celebrations for that temple opening. And so it's not like, um, yeah, it was just interesting to see at that point in the fifties, um, all these um, Polynesian, you know, Polynesian people being involved with, with the construction of that temple and being really proud of what they did and the, the bricks, the, the facilities to use the bricks for the temple, um, also, uh, served to make the bricks for church buildings and in Samoa later on. Um, and I think also, uh, you know, Mormons gifted a bulldozer tractor, Contraption thing to the Samoa government to use in the 1950s. So there's yeah, little things like that. That's that's where my mind was going on. Um, you know, gifts from the Americans. That's that's where I was going just now with my mind. <laughs> that's
0: great. Well, and you raised a really interesting point about the cultural celebrations that happened after the temple dedication. And I know and have heard um, you know that little program that happens online in between conference sessions when you're watching it. Um, do you do you guys get that in the
2: when you, conference? When you have
0: conference? Uh, well, there's like, because there's like a little program that goes on in between conference sessions on uh, Saturdays and Sundays. I don't know if you all get that.
2: I I don't know if we get it either because we get our conference videos a week after because right. of the time time difference, so we don't Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I'm don't... showing my privilege. I <laughs> know, <laughs> no, no, it's all good. It's funny.
1: Oh, but, yeah, and I think we get it here, but it's not in English, so, and I don't, I can't recall if it has subtitles, because... You, you mean it is in English, and... Oh, yeah, pardon me, it is in English, Got it. but um, does it happen in where you're at, um, in New Zealand, where our members encouraged more to go to the stake centers to watch conference, because yes. I... I I, you know, having lived in Utah, I was like, yeah, conference, I'm going to watch in my PJs. And when I said I was going to do that here, everybody was like looking at me so strangely because they were like, no, the council is that we go to the stake center here. And I was just like, I'm horrible.
0: (laughs) I haven't Um, gone to a building to watch conference in mm, at least 10 years.
2: Oh, wow. Is that, is that because, because of we internet? just watch it online. Yeah, yeah we watch it yeah, online. Yeah, um, we, we get it online as well, much faster than, you know, going to the state center. Yeah.
0: Sure. yeah. So. Well, and one of the things in is in DC, we had a number of members who did not have access to internet. And so they would, um, even though we didn't have a satellite at all of our buildings, because a lot of them were really small and repurposed, we um, they would just use the internet and just broadcast it live Mm -hmm. over the from the internet so that's another way anyway so but back to my point about (laughs) sorry that was a really great diversion um but in between conference they have this program and it talks about all the different things that the church is doing around the world and a lot of the things that they uh highlight are humanitarian efforts but they also highlight these temple dedications and the Um, celebrations that happen associated with the temple dedications. And they involve a lot of the youth. And they always um, quote off some enormous number of youth who had participated in this um, cultural celebration to um, celebrate the temple dedication and also to put it on for the president of the church or whomever, whichever general authority was there to dedicate. Um, and so at that particular moment, the culture of that area is really uh, kind of central. I was just wondering if you see that same type of focus on culture of the local area um, throughout uh, your church experience and meetings. Um,
1: I wouldn't say so. There's not like maybe... You know for independence day in september but um there's not like kids here have started pulling hand cards they do the pioneer tracks which seems so (laughs) random you know because we don't have the terrain for that like you know i remember as a kid hearing uh that primary song with the pioneers and walked and walked and walked and walked. And that seems so odd to me because we walked everywhere. So I was like, what's so bad with walking? what's <laughs> so wrong with like, how yeah. is it so hard? And, you know, <laughs> uh, granted, I, I realized now maybe it was hard because they had to wear all that clothing that nobody here really wears. Mm. Um, and in the tropics. And so it's just <laughs> really strange to see, I remember when I came and um, when I was young women's president and my girls were like, we're going to go on the trek. And I just was all, excuse me, we're, we're doing what? Because it seems so odd, you know, oh, we're going to go in rainforest type places and pull a hand card. Like pretty sure that wasn't the pioneer experience. But, you know, <laughs> like they're introducing that sort of here while, you know, I don't think – if we did a celebration on day of the dead um which is a mexican tradition or um which is a mayan tradition and um especially here there's a predominantly mayan um, population or there's a large mayan population there they're definitely i don't think that would be encouraged um i definitely have seen situations where that is frowned upon because you know they tell us that we should not bring cultural things to church, that mm-hmm. church is for church, which I think is curious because pioneer heritage type stuff seems very cultural to me, at least American culture type of a thing. Um, you know, putting on a bonnet and um, walking around in in a hand cart is not particularly something that the ans- that you know somebody's ancestors here did. So I do think there is that um or you know uh, Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing for 4th of July, that's another really cultural thing. Um it's broadcast in all the chapels here but it's sort of like there's a disconnect in there because 4th of July means nothing to people here. It's right. another day. So it's it's sort of strange when that happens or you know hearing like little things that have to do with american culture like um easter is celebrated differently here so when we hear like the easter talks during um conference it's definitely a different vibe here because for example the entire country there's a a lot of Catholicism. So the whole Easter week is, you know, really sacred to a lot of people aside from Mormons. And so there are a lot of religious observances. So it, it has a little bit more of a somber tone than it does in the States because of that. Mm-hmm. And so there's disconnects in things, you know, where they're explained one way over the pulpit and something gets lost in the cultural translation and doesn't quite land that way here.
0: Interesting. What about you, Leone? How have you seen um, cultural celebrations? How how do the local cultural celebrations jive with um, the local church direction?
2: Um, So in in Auckland or in New Zealand, um, church membership is most dense in Auckland and Auckland is widely considered as the Polynesian capital of the world. We have more Pacific Islanders um, living in Auckland, so Niweans, Cook Islanders, Tongans, Samoans, um, even urban Māori, living here in Auckland than in their respective islands. Um, And that reflects in the church membership as well because um, yeah, most of the members... Oh, a majority of the members will are actually um, yeah Islanders or Polynesian brown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, very few, very few Asians. Um, a, f- a few more um, Pakeha, um, pa- white, uh, white uh, European New Zealanders. But definitely in in any ward you go to, at least here in Auckland, where there are ten stakes. Um, and know, yeah, biggest number of stakes here in Auckland. Um, there's definitely you definitely notice that there's more brown than, than white here. Um, and it was funny that one of my Canadian friends, when I told her I was Mormon, um, she said, "Oh, that's funny. You you know, when I think of Mormons, I think white upper class um, American person yes. rather than um, <laughs> like a, a Mitt Med- Romney type." I'm a Mitt Romney type <laughs> person, yeah. And she was telling me this and you know, she's not Mormon. I've I'm the first Mormon I guess Mormon outside of America she's met, and yeah, she just that was quite weird for me because all of them you know, most of the Mormons I know are brown. <laughs> yeah. Um so so in Auckland you have all these brown Pacific Island members and yes, culture comes into the way um Into our, of course, it will come into the way that we practice our Mormonism, Um, and it's every now and then there's there's some kind of message from the pulpit about not letting your ethnic culture come between or interfere with what should be your primary culture, which is the culture of Christ. You know, you are a member first and you are your ethnic culture second yeah um and i have that yeah sometimes it doesn't fit very very well with me um i'm one of those young people who are you know i'm still figuring my identity out and i have little identity issues on myself of of my own but um yeah just to to say that you're a member first and your ethnic identity second is is yeah It's, it's a, it's an uncomfortable fit for me when so much of my daily interactions, you know, no one knows I'm Mormon first, well, you know, unless I tell them, they, you know, people look at me and I'm brown and female before I am Mormon. I have to, I have to kind of say so, right. Um, in order to identify myself as Mormon. Um, so where is I at? Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> with with cultural practices, there's um there's this message about you know please please don't or please kind of um, draw back a bit on from from cu- practicing any kind of cultural things within the church. That's a little bit difficult, especially when there are celebrations that, from a cultural standpoint, you have obligations to do. So, for instance, in a wedding or or um, or a funeral, at least in the Samoan culture, you show your respect to the bereaved or to the, the celebrating party by gifting gifting what you can to them, so money or or fine mats or you know something to show your support or to show your your love to to that person um through through this gifting or this they're called Laves. so you know your family gets together and you contribute towards other family for whatever event that they have going on and yeah with with sometimes it can get a bit out of hand the gifting because you know you don't want to look bad in front of your family you want to gift as much as you can Mm -hmm. so there's that struggle between um uh, yeah, that's its own little kind of story, which is, you know, um, gifting what you can, showing your love, but also not getting into debt. And then there's, yeah, just church um, church messages, tr- you know, saying, and it's, it's saying, um, you know, try and restrain from that. And for good reason, too, because, um, you know, families can get into quite a bit of debt with with this whole kind of um with these types of formalities a uh, quite quite a lot of debt can be can be um had from that and so it's not just so it's not just about church membership but also you know it's about common sense and not giving what you don't have. Right. Um but um, yeah it's it's difficult that way. Well, um, and that, that brings
0: oh, up another question actually okay. that I have for you is I know that, um, part of a lot, of, uh, well, I think that part of a lot of Polynesian cultures is, is, uh, has an aspect of tattooing involved. Oh yeah. And I'm just wondering, um, what your thoughts are, what the church has done in regards to those t- cultural traditions.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, well with, with Christianity and Polynesian culture, or Samoan culture in, in general. Um definitely that that narrative of Christian missionaries coming to the islands, um seeing, you know, beholding all these paganists, oh my gosh, they worship gods, oh my gosh, they tattoo themselves, oh my gosh, they're half naked. Uh we have to get rid you know, we have to give them this Christian message of of Christ, but also get them to change their behavior. Um I I always think of that. Before I think of how that is done in my own Mormon religion, mm-hmm. um, so but but it is done in a way, in, the, in that the church definitely says no to tattoos, right? Like, right. But that is that is that is so a part of Polynesian cultures, not just Samoan, but Samoan, Maori, Cook Islands, Tongan. That is such a big part of of your cultural expression. And it's, it's more than just ink on skin. Like when the church is, you know, no tattoos. You know, okay. All right. Best not to mark your skin or whatever, but it's, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's still really hard because, um, in these cultures, it's not, you know, yeah, it is not just about ink on skin. It's about, um, your, It's about family. It's about your cultural affinity with um, with um, with your family and with and your. How do I say it? It's you, signifying that you are going to serve your family, that you have obligations to your culture, that uh, they go deeper than just you know only God can judge me tattoo, you know, it's, it's not fads. It's not about fads. Right. These, these tattoos.
0: Mm. Right. You're not getting a butterfly on your back.
2: No, no, it's, it's not a, it's not a transept. (laughs) Um, It's, and, and some of the tattoos, they, you know, it's hours and hours of, of ink. So for the men, it's, you know, your, your lower body from your knee to your, to your hip bones, those kinds of tattoos. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, those are special and those are an undertaking that definitely marked you as putting your culture as at least for Samoan culture as um, as definitely a high priority. And.
0: And so the church yeah. just has a um, blanket. I mean, I mean, so the church does not make any cultural concessions in that regard. Is that what you're saying? <laughs>
2: No cultural concessions, no. But individually, I know that some family members of mine have have had um, significant cultural tattoos done. But then, in talking with their bishops, they haven't seen you know huge church discipline about that. Sure. And that's kind of like an on an individual basis. Um, and I, I don't know what I don't actually. It's not been made clear to me what the punishment is for getting a cultural tattoo. Like I, you know, I've, I've not seen any of of those few members who have tattoos and I've asked them, you know, what, you know, what happened next? Um, it, it doesn't sound like there was much, you know, church discipline, but then again, I, maybe I, you know, I'm not, I wasn't made privy to any, any of that, but,
0: sure when i'm not aware of um church discipline in the yeah. states for even getting a butterfly on your back um <laughs> although those people should be disciplined <laughs> i'm just kidding i'm just kidding well um,
1: i thought she brought a really interesting point because you know the whole you're a, m- a m- church member first and then you're you know Mm. your ethnicity or whatever i like i felt that too but the thing is i didn't feel that so long as i was assimilating assimilating into american culture um that's not i don't feel like that's emphasized in the states you know you can they have i mean god bless america no america's (laughs) beautiful there we go is in the back of the english hymn book as well as you know the national anthem so Mm. I feel like, and, you know, the God Save the Queen, I think that's back there, too. I haven't seen an English um, hymn book in a little bit. So totally correct me if I'm wrong. But the thing is, I mean, so that feels so, and, you know, that Friedberg painting of Washington, um, Mm -hmm. praying. I've seen that a lot, too, in the States, whereas here I I definitely do feel this destiny. Disconnect about that, you know, or testimony meetings around the 4th of July. That's definitely interesting in the states because people are like, I know that the Constitution, they're basically bearing their testimony about the founding fathers. Wow. But, you know, I, so I feel like stateside, there's not that conflict of identity. There's not that whole, well, you know, you're American second and right. which is
2: right. Yeah.
1: I mean that's that basically explains why people like Glenn Beck are as successful as they are. Because if somebody I think took that stand anywhere outside of the US, I think there'd be a really huge conflict because what Leona said
2: mm-hmm. is
1: taught, you know, that you're a Mormon first, your culture is, you know, the church culture. And then you're, you know, in my case, I'm Mexican or Latina, second, and I'm, I'm a woman, second or third. <laughs> um, uh, you can interchange those two how, in whatever order you see fit. But, <laughs> but it's definitely a conflict that I don't feel it happens stateside.
0: Interesting. Well, just a note I'll point out, and this is just to add on, is that um, O Canada, can- Canada's national anthem, is paste- We is not in the hymn book either. We paste it in the back of our hymn books <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. so that we can have that. Yeah. Um, but it is format. They do have a version that is formatted in the standard hymn book way. So it looks like every other hymn is just an extra sheet that we glue in at the, at the back. That's pretty Um, sweet, though. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting. I always I always found found it felt was a little miffed that it wasn't included, but (laughs) that was my own personal thing. Uh, One thing I want to uh, move on to is that obviously there are many different climates around the world, Um, not just and and there are you know there are different climates in the United States too, but. There are drastically different climates from Utah than, say, Mexico. Um, And yet the garments, the temple garments, are the same. And I was just wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about um, how that affects Mexican members and New Zealand members.
1: Um, Well, I know here we only have two... um types of garment fabric available so mesh and cotton that's it (laughs) and it's not I'm really 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 lucky because my mom lives stateside and every time she comes and visits she's like what would you like me to bring you but um it's it's super gross. I'm not going to lie, especially in the summer here, because you'll have 104 degree weather and 90 percent humidity and you're out on the street and you're in a constant state of sweat. And so elders um, sometimes get something that's called missionary butt. Where <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> I hope we can all still be friends after this. But um, they... Grow like mold on their skin basically because they're wet all the time. You know, you're always sweating and it it ends up looking sort of weird. I know for me, it's like in Utah or stateside, you know, you do layers because that way you can be a little, you know, more modest and truth standard wise. But over here, I mean, You'd have to wear double the layers almost so that when your clothes clothes sweat, you don't sweat through them and Mm -hmm. it doesn't look sort of translucent and weird. I know there have been times when I'm just like, I mean, I've definitely completely ruled out white um, Uh, fitted shirts like I used to do in the States, like Mm -hmm. the down east outfitter type stuff. Right. Um, or, you know, the basic YT, I can never wear those to church ever at all. Under no circumstances. Because even though my house is relatively close to the chapel. It's like 10 minutes in a bus ride. Um, or on the bus. It By the time I get there, I'm soaked. I'm so gross. And, yeah. <laughs> I know it sounds <laughs> really graphic. But, I mean, over here. And, you know, there's not... The garments are shorter, though, here than stateside garments. Really? Yeah. They're, I put my stateside garments and my Mexican garments together once, and it's like a 10-centimeter difference. Oh, wow. Wow. So, um, I feel like, yeah, the stateside garments are a lot longer, but there's a lot more variety, so that's right. a lot.
0: That, That's the tiny concession to, <laughs> to yeah. Mexican members. What about you,
2: Leone? Uh, I'm just thinking about it, and no, we we have a t- pretty temperate climate here, and I I've, I've only recently been endowed in and the the selection that we have at the distribution center over by the temple it's it's pretty good. Hmm. Uh, I I went in with my mom the first time just to you know stock up, and and she was amazed at the different textures and fabrics you could get with the garments because uh, she was. Yeah, she was just only ever used to two or three in Samoa, and I think they were the the meshy, the Mishi ones that's they right. they tried it, you know. Um, but if, see, if I was living in Sam, so I don't have a problem now here living in New Zealand. It's it's our winter time now. Um, but man, if I was endowed and living in Samoa, I'd probably struggle a lot because it, yeah, it's tropical, three, you know. Regularly, thirty degrees uh, Celsius um, outside. It's dry season now, and I I just imagine myself. Man, if if I was wearing garments in Samoa, I would ugh, I would probably just be in like loose fitting mutu dresses all day long, <laughs> in and out, no tight fitting nothing. Which is alright, but I don't really wear tight fitting stuff anyway. But yeah, I would be my my go to uniform for the rest of my life would be just like. Loose billowing dresses. Mm.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's safe to say that garments would probably be designed differently if the church were headquartered in a tropical climate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I think so. That would have been an interesting revelation.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, um, you know, we've been having a great conversation. I don't want to cut it short, but I do want to touch on one more thing before we sign off. And um, it's a little about how political issues are presented overseas where um, some of the politics are different in the countries where you are. And I'm alluding to specifically um, gay marriage. And, um, Leona, I know that in New Zealand there was a recent conference where uh, there was a talk... Um, given by one of the general authorities about gay marriage. And it had kind of this American tone to it and maybe had a little bit of a disconnect from the New Zealand members where gay marriage is legal and has been legal for... Quite a while. I'm yeah. wondering what your thoughts are on that.
2: Um, if you're talking about the, it was like a state conference just a few weeks ago. Is that right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had elected to um, skip that conference and go see Alice Walker because she was in town, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I didn't actually go there. But I, I do feel like I missed out because, um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't. You know, I couldn't believe that Wow. Um, it was a conference just for New Zealanders from general, you know, the general authorities, the big ones, and they talked about gay marriage, but from the sounds of it, it's kind of like, well, sorry, mate, that ship has sailed and we've already, you know, what legislation's already passed here and, you know, what, you know, what can you do about it now? I don't understand, I, I, um, what, do you you know much about what he was saying? I mean, of course he was saying, you know, gay marriage is not right, but what was the, I couldn't see the point of telling us that now when the legislation's passed. Right. If it was the same message that, you know, reiterating the same message that, you know, traditional marriage is, is the only recognized form of marriage. Um, I, yeah, it didn't sound like, well, you know, what are we supposed to do about it now that we've like passed it in parliament? Yeah. Um, I mean there's not enough Mormons here in New Zealand to like mount an epic protest against gay marriage, you know, and there'd already been a lot of submissions and all that kind of toing and throwing and reading through the and, and readings for the legislation to pass, so and actually it was quite a beautiful once they passed it, the I saw the video and it's just everyone broke out into this really beautiful Māori song afterwards. I felt good. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well I, from it. Canada has, um, recognized same-sex marriage since 2005. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the same messages that we have, again, kind of don't really connect. What about you and in Mexico? Um,
1: well, it's always really awkward, I think, to hear about it because, um, Same-sex marriage has been legal here for quite a while, and it doesn't even work like it does in the states. The laws here don't in regards to that. um, There are a few places you can go and seek um, um, marriage if you are um, in a partnership uh, that's um, same-sex, and it'll be recognized in the entire country. Even if you can't get married in the entire country, your marriage is recognized as a legal marriage everywhere Hmm. um, within the country. So, for example, the neighboring state um, to the one I'm currently living in, Quintana Roo, if you're a same-sex couple, you can get married there over at City Hall. Um, But (laughs) if you decide to move to... um, Yucatan, even though you can't, um, or Yucatan, even though you can't get married here at City Hall, your marriage is still recognized as legal and binding. So when the church talks a lot about um, law and uh, legislation and all of this stuff, well, you know, I mean, people have been getting married here. Uh, People, uh, same-sex marriages have been happening here for quite some time. And you know, we're still pretty much in the same position we were before same sex uh, same-sex marriages, and so it's it's sort of it's sort of odd um, because in the states uh, there was that page that um, that essay that the church put out on LDS org on being like a good citizen and you know uh, the laws uh, like. And talking a lot about the founding fathers, and I felt like that was another huge disconnect because um, laws work so differently here. And the way Mm -hmm. the government works is so different that that only seemed applicable to stateside members. I mean, I don't, to be quite honest with you, I don't even know how the law works in Canada or in New Zealand, which I find really curious because I can tell you how the law works in the states or what's going on um, with stateside issues in regards to the church, because there's definitely a lot of, um, platform given I feel to church issues there, but I'm sure there are issues in Canada and in New Zealand, um, for the saints in those places that I'm not aware
0: of. Yeah. Great point. Um, well, on that, I'm going to, to wrap it up and conclude. And I, there, I know that there are lots of other things that we could talk about, but I really appreciate your time and your candor and um, helping people like me and our listeners understand what it's like and um, how the church is presented in other cultures and other countries. I really appreciate your time, ladies. Thank you so much. Hold on, hold on. Can
2: I just ask oh. something about... Um, yeah. Jello salad. What
0: is Jello salad? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that you brought that up. So my mother would make Jello salad. Um, I don't know I if it was for every Sunday, understand. but it was definitely for special kitchens. So um, what she would make was uh, lime Jello. Yeah. Uh huh. Um, and we would have carrots and celery floating in the lime Jello, and so. The carrots and the celery were the salad, and <laughs> the lime jello was the jello, and oh, there is wish jello you could, salad. You should, I should
2: keep <laughs> my face right now. That sounds appalling. Oh, well, sure it tastes really great, but
0: you know, oh. it's not. I, I'll be honest; it wasn't my favorite. But to be fair, <laughs> the carrots and the celery did no longer tasted like carrots or celery. They just was like a crunchy lime flavored oh, bit oh. within the jello. Oh. See, and you know, I wasn't I, even raised in Utah. This was just well, something that I guess my mother uh, she went to BYU, maybe she brought it up with her. I
2: don't know. See, yeah, when I when I think of you, like earlier I, I talked about Utah as the bubble, like I would love to go to Utah as in the same way that an anthropologist wants to go to the boonies <laughs> in Papua New Guinea just to see how Mormon Utah is. I just it's so it's so mystical to me oh Oh wow yes I
0: I love that you asked that (laughs) well I have had so much fun with you um thank you so much and thank you um, thank you we'll talk another time take care